Welcome to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast, all about real estate investing in the Calgary market. And now your host, Corey Peckford. Hey guys, today's show is slightly different than my previous shows. Today I had the pleasure of interviewing my brother. He's the mortgage broker turned serial entrepreneur, and he's also the founder of Bricks Mortgages. Plus he's the host of I Love Mortgage Broking Podcast, which has been around for almost a decade. It's not too far off from having 500 episodes released, which is a pretty significant, crazy number. What I found fascinating is he hasn't even been interviewed on podcasts that I could find. I did a quick search and I really couldn't find anything where he's been interviewed. What I normally do with shows is I always send my guests a template with some of the questions that I'm going to ask them ahead of time. But with my brother, I actually didn't send him anything. He's definitely a very polished public speaker and he only needs to have a few talking points. So I thought if I didn't send him anything, it would actually be a bit more spontaneous, maybe organic responses. We didn't dive into mortgage broking topics, but more about his backstory and the importance of mindset, coaching, finding your why, not giving up when something turns into a dumpster fire. Just use it as a learning opportunity. If you ever consider changing careers or starting a small business, I think you'll find this show very inspiring. I'd recommend checking out his podcast if you haven't already. He's always got great guests and content on his shows. And if you're a real estate investor, maybe a small business owner, I think there's always some great takeaways from listening to other podcasts like his. I think you'll enjoy the show. Hey guys, I got a very special guest on my show today. Definitely a first time for me, but I've got my brother from Kelowna on the show and I'm super excited for him to be here. So welcome Scott Peckford and uh, maybe you can start off by just telling the listeners a little bit about yourself and uh, what you're up to, what's keeping you busy. Sure. So I'm the older brother of Corey. And so I start with that and known him pretty much my whole life. So I have been in the mortgage business since 2006. And seven years ago, I started a podcast called I Love Mortgage Brokering, which was started off as just a hobby thing that's turned into something I didn't expect. More than a million downloads now and crazy. And I've had a training company, had several other companies in the mortgage space, but most recently for the last sort of 18, 19 months, we started a mortgage brokerage and it's growing like crazy, over 200 agents. And yeah, I mean, you've, I think you've met some of them in your line of work and stuff. And so I don't actually do the mortgages anymore to day to day. I just try to help our agents do more mortgages. So that's the main focus for us at the moment is just helping our agents. And uh, yeah, it's basically, I think it's keeping me busy, man. For, for sure. That's awesome. So normally with my guests, I always send them a template with questions. And actually, this is the first time I haven't sent someone a template and I might as well start with my brother. I wanted to do this on purpose just to hit him with questions that he didn't know was going to be, he couldn't be prepared for. So I have no idea what you're going to ask me. So much more fun. I know you're good for this. I've watched you at some of your seminars and stuff. You can shoot from the hip and yeah, you're good with whatever anybody asks you. So you had mentioned that, was it seven years? I thought it was further back. You started your podcast. I don't know. I think it was like 2014. I think yeah, it was 14. It? it was four. Cause I, I was did a six, seven, eight. That's nine. Oh my goodness. Yeah, no, I did a Google search because, or actually not a Google search. So what I normally do too, is I prep for podcasts, I search on say Spotify, I'll search the person's name. And I noticed that I don't think you've been on a podcast before. Like you've done all the interviewing all these years. I have been on a couple, I think, but I don't remember, man. I usually don't do them that often. I've been told I should do them more, but I haven't. So. Okay. Uh, I think you should. I've done a lot of. Thank you for taking the time today to be online. Actually, I want to jump back even further because I know you actually were a paramedic, right? So you were started off kind of after high school, you were a paramedic in BC and kind of climbed up the, with seniority. And I remember actually when you were contemplating becoming a mortgage broker, I kind of viewed it as, uh, you know, you're leaving a secure union job where you had seniority. And I thought, oh, I think he's a little bit crazy to be doing this. Mm -hmm. So did you kind of feel that way too, back when you were 
changing uh, careers? No, like I'm the kind of person when I'm done with something, I'm done. So I was a paramedic for nine years. You know, my 20s, basically, I was a paramedic and it was lots of fun. And you learn how to build rapport with people and trust. You know, you get lots of, if you want to sit around and tell stories, I got lots of ambulance stories. And so for that life experience, it was great, but it really was limiting in terms of your growth potential. And my only problem with the union was that it was based on seniority and not merit. So you could be the best paramedic on the planet and work really hard and take care of your patients. But if somebody was hired two days before you, they're going to get the job in most cases. At least that's what it was when I was like, and I was like, that frustrated me because I saw people that in my thinking were borderline incompetent. And yet somehow they would still get promoted just because of a higher date. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense. And so and, you know, we dabbled in several other like side businesses and hustles. Most of them turned into dumpster fires. And But I've always been trying different things on the side. And so I think I just came back. Even when I was younger, when we were like 19, 18, we were doing you know, 16. We were doing anything to make a buck, you know, hustling. And so I think I just came back to that afterwards. I was like, wait a second, I'd rather have some control over my. And then the last piece was in order for me to go to the next level or have any opportunity, I'd have to either commute to Vancouver all the time from Kelowna, which is like three, four hour drive or move. And I didn't want to do either of those things. So then it was like, let's get into something else. And the last thing is when I was 20, before I became a paramedic, I actually got my financial planning license and I was going to be a financial planner because I like that stuff. But the problem was I looked 15 and I was like 20 and nobody in their right mind was going to give me their money, which I wouldn't have. And so I was like, well, at least I'm a paramedic. And if I dial 911 and I show up, they can't call 912. It's like, and I had people go like, are you my paramedic? You look like you're, you know, do you even shave? (laughs) <laughs> and so I had people give me a hard time with that, but at least with the paramedic in the uniform, they couldn't really say so much they could do. So I think I needed some time to like mature and season a bit. And I got that through being a paramedic. So, but I do, I don't miss it. You know, I got some friends that still do it, but I wouldn't want to go back to it. You know, as an outsider watching your journey and how you progressed through different businesses and even personally progressed, I feel like, man, it would be crazy if you were still driving an ambulance today and being a paramedic compared to the journey you've taken and the risk you've taken and where you've gotten yourself to, right? Even in personal development, everything. Yeah. like And there's, again, I think that it's worked out for me. And I think now that I've been self-employed for so long that I'm not even employable anymore. Like I couldn't possibly go work. If mortgage brokering became illegal tomorrow or, you know, AI took over the job, I would start another business as soon as humanly possible. If I had to take a job temporarily, I would, but I would start a business. I'd probably start a business within like, you know, a week. I'd find something to do. For sure. For sure. And I'm sure over the years, because you probably have seen a lot of shiny objects too, right? Where you've tried oh, different man. things. And yeah. so maybe I was can you kind of that. both that a little bit the shiny objects and maybe how you've had to rein yourself in? Yeah. So one of the curses of being creative is that you see so many things. And when I was, especially my thirties, I would say were my twenties was paramedic. My thirties was chasing shiny objects and trying a hundred different things. And most of them being a catastrophe, but everything had learning in it and looking back. At the time, sometimes you don't know you're learning stuff. You're just like, oh, that sucked. I lost money or whatever. But like I tried a credit monitoring business and I lost some money on that. I tried buying into a brokerage that didn't work with the way I ended up not losing money, but it was certainly a distraction. I built a newsletter business that I sold. I built a training company that I sold. And so I've done a bunch of different businesses and other stuff like a podcast production company that we originally had. You know, and the thing I realize now is I'm always willing to try experiments and some of them work, some of them are dumpster fires and it's all good. Like, but now my focus is just on our mortgage company bricks. And so I put every bit of useful Intel information into that company and anything that we create going forward will be owned by bricks, you know, by that company, as well as it will be designed for helping our agents be more successful. And the way I define agent success currently, at least the way I never really thought about this before, 
until you know in the last year because i had people tell me when i started the training company is you can't make money selling courses to mortgage brokers they won't pay i had so many people tell me this and these, some of these people were quote unquote trainers and coaches and they could not seem to figure out a way to make money coaching mortgage brokers and i did it for five years it was a great it's a great business we were making money and like it was fantastic what it was not easy and i had to spend a bunch of money on coaching to learn how to do it but i learned a ton and I don't usually listen to what other people say of like what can and can't be done. I'm like, yeah, let me go check for myself. Sometimes that means I do dumb things. Sometimes it means that I find a solution that, you know, they didn't see, but I will always want to check. I don't just take for granted that, hey, you can't be done. I'm like, well, usually when people are telling you, you can't make money as a, say, a mortgage broker coach, what they're really saying is I can't make money and I hope you don't make money either. It's not actually a true statement. It's like, okay, cool. That's your perspective, but is there a way that could you make money and how could you make it work? And so that's how I think. I don't even pay any attention to that. Like it's irrelevant to me when somebody says that. For sure. That's awesome. And then because it actually grew to a, quite a successful coaching business, maybe a little bit of a backstory. How did that start? How did you get inspired to maybe even become a coach in the first place? Yeah. So there's a backstory there. So basically, initially I sold my mortgage business like I don't know how many years ago that was, but I sold it to a friend and she took over the mortgage brokering. And my initial plan was actually to help mortgage brokers set up podcasts in cities all over Canada and the US. And because at that time, I'd been doing a podcast for a few years. I saw the impact of having a podcast. I saw the reach, the credibility. I literally can access anybody in the Canadian mortgage space and even not anybody in the US, but certainly nearly from having a podcast. So I saw that as like a backstage pass to meet all the interesting people. And so we launched this out and I think we got into about 14 or 15 cities. And this is just my own naivety is that people would start the show and then they would quit, you know, after 10 episodes or be like, I can't think of any more topics or I can't find any guests. And we never signed people into 12 month contracts, which we should have, you know, we should have said you got to do a 12 month contract. And so then we were always having to replace them. And so I found that to be frustrating and it was just too early. I mean, we're talking, that was, man, how many years ago was that? That was like... This was before podcasting really became as big as it is now. Like it was probably seven years ago, six, seven years ago, like before. And so we were very early in the podcasting thing. So I was in San Francisco and I had one of my agents reach out to me and she said, Hey, Scott, she was a mortgage broker, but then she became a realtor. She's like, I'm at this real estate conference and I really think you should do training. Like, I think you should start doing training mortgage brokers. You train me and I think you're good at training. I was like, well, I could do that, I guess. And at that point, I'd done a couple hundred episodes and I'd been a successful broker. So I thought maybe I'll take everything I learned from those podcasts, take everything that I've learned from my own mortgage business and I'll create a course. And I had already done several other businesses that I lost money on because I had spent all the money with the idea that somebody's going to buy this thing. But that's a bad idea. It's like building a spec house in the middle of nowhere going, I'm building this amazing spec house, but you have no idea if you have a market for it. Instead, I'm building a what do you call it? Like a, not a spec house, but the owner build, like you basically, you've already got the owner and now you're building it for them. And so you know that you've got a spider at the end of it. You've got the whole plan in place up front before you even maybe. Yeah. And you've got a deposit, you've already got a buyer. So now I, that's how I don't start any business without, like, I want to find, do I have a customer as fast as humanly possible? So what I did, because I had the podcast going and I had an email list of a few thousand mortgage brokers, I thought, why don't I send an email and say, Hey, I've created this program. It's called $25 million blueprint. And here's what I'm going to teach you. And I think it was 1500 bucks to sign up. I'll come to your town. I'm going to meet with 10 of you and I'm going to teach you how to do this or whatever. And I sent the email out and within like two or three days, I'd made like $37,000. And I was like, holy crap. And I literally had none of the training done. Like I didn't have a single, all I had was a table of contents. And I was like, I got to now write this thing. Like it was like, you know, so I had, I think by the time I was done, I had 300 slides in my slide deck and it was a full day session. 
so anybody that paid, I said, okay, great. I'm going to jump on a call with you because I want to find out what your challenges and problems are. And every time I would get on a call with them, I'd ask them what they were. I'd give them some advice. And then I'd say, what do you want to learn? And they'd tell me, and I'd be like, it's a good idea. And then I would start writing it down. So I made sure everything they told me that they wanted to learn, I baked into the program. So I basically customized it for their situation. And then I got great feedback. I got some brokers that went through that program that are literal rock stars now that are the crushing mortgages like crazy. So then I was like, I was doing too much traveling. So from there, I found somebody who taught me how to deliver effective program online. And I spent a bunch of money on that and learned how to build a program digitally. And so it goes back to the people who told me, Scott, you can't make money selling to mortgage brokers. I'm like, yeah, if you don't listen to what they have to say, if you don't you know, focus on make sure that it's useful, and if you're not willing to spend money to learn how to do something, yeah, maybe you won't make money. But I did all those things. And for me, it turned into a seven-figure business of like just coaching mortgage brokers and a ton of fun, like just so much fun. So that's kind of the path that I went down to get into the training business that I was initially thinking it was going to be something different. But, you know, again, in hindsight, I can't tell you that it was by design, but you just try things and some things work, some things don't. Yeah, that's amazing. Anybody that knows you, I think you're kind of considered like a marketing genius or whiz or like, so I've been to some of your coaching things. You've kind of, you know, graciously let me come, even though it was for mortgage brokers, I'm kind of the only realtor in the room, but I've watched people ask you questions kind of from the hip and you kind of filter that you listen and then you give them great feedback as to how you would handle it. Maybe it's a, a marketing issue they're having or sales, that kind of thing. And I've watched you in real time kind of handle anything, any question people come at you. Do you think that's from just studying all the time? I mean, part of it's natural, but do you think it's from like just all that time learning and the coaching you've done? Well, I always had an interest in marketing. So even I remember I took college for three months back when I was like 19. And I tell people I studied alcoholism and they're like, how can you do that? And I'm like, you drink four nights a week. You get, <laughs> you get a degree in alcoholism and run out of money. And the only two classes that I never missed, didn't matter how drunk I was or hungover, was accounting because I like math. And the other one was marketing. And I remember one time my professor saying, or TM professor, whatever they call it in college, he was like, you don't have to come, you know. I think he was basically saying like, dude, you smell like a brewery. Like, why are you here? And I was like, I just love marketing. But then I had the, not very long in, I, I had the realization, I was like, if this person really understood marketing, why are they working here? Like, why are they not going to start a business? That was the thought that crossed my mind when this person would get up and talk about, you know, business and stuff. And so marketing, I have a very keen interest in, and I've studied it and taken coaching on it and read tons of like, and then I'm just willing to try stuff. Like, so I think marketing is one of those things that I have developed a skill. I had an interest in, but developed it over the last 15 years, 16 years to make it like, I think I'm decent at it. My buddy met with a guy last week who has a hundred million dollar a year coaching company. Mine was like seven figures, you know, and I was like, oh, that's pretty good. He's doing a hundred million. I'm like, oh my goodness. Like eight figures is 10 million. So he's like nine figures. Is it nine figures? No, no, it's eight. It's a lot. Anyway, <laughs> it's uh, a lot of figures and there's levels to this stuff. And there's always somebody that's way farther ahead. But for me, when I heard that, my initial thought was he's just made better choices than me. I didn't feel like inferior or that, like, I just thought, man, this guy, he's probably my age, pretty close. And I was like, he's just made better choices. And so it's like, okay, well, how do I make better choices going forward? There's no point in like comparing or whining or bitching and stuff. Just, all right, this person's farther ahead, but I'm not comparing with them. Going back, I can make better choices. The one thing I know for sure, so I'm 48 now. And if I were to go back and compete against the 38-year-old Scott in business, I would kick his ass. Like it wouldn't even be close. Like the stuff that I've learned in the last decade. And I guarantee you the 58-year-old Scott would come back and clean both of them up because, you know, 10 more years from now, as I keep learning and I'm not done at all, I feel like I'm still just, you know, learning this stuff. The 58-year-old, as long as I have my health, 
the 58-year-old Scott will literally slaughter both of them, no problem. I could beat the other Scott with one hand behind my back in any business. If I were to take that Scott and compete against them, there's no chance. Like I could outmarket them, outsell, out lead, out everything. And I know in 10 years from now, my goal is to be that much better that even the current version of me is not as good as the one that's coming. So that's just how I think. That's a great way to view it. And I like that analogy because it's almost like if, you know, if you did Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I used to do it and you get someone that's a black belt in the room and there's a real difference at each level, right? Each belt level is totally different. But even different. there's black belts at levels. There's the black belts who are competitive, who are going to tournaments and compete at a high level. And there's just the black belts who teach and don't really have any competition around them that keeps them sharp. And those guys will get slaughtered by the guys who are in the competition level black belt who are at tournaments all the time and training with your training partners matter a ton, like up to a point. Once you become the best, you're not going to improve as well as everybody else in the dojo. If you want to keep getting better, you got to find new training partners. And sometimes like I got a club here in town. I don't think that the black belt, they're one of them. He doesn't learn as much because he doesn't have any good competition, right? Whereas there's other clubs where it's just nothing but one beast after another, after another. And it's like, man, you're going to get so much better by having those rolling partners with you. So, so I think so it's the same thing in business. So same idea. For sure. Yeah, exactly what I was thinking. Um, it's almost like that saying that you don't want to be the smartest person in the room, right? You want to be around people that are maybe further along than you on the journey, on the business journey. Yeah, yeah, totally. And that's why I say like my buddy who went and met this hundred million guys, this is one of his businesses. We've got a coaching company, a hundred million dollar coaching company, and it's one of his eight businesses. And I'm like nuts. And so my buddy hired him as a coach. He's like, I got to level up. I would say he is the most natural entrepreneur I've ever met. Like he's got the most natural talent with the least amount of like, you know, taking the least amount of training to get that talent. And even he's like, I've got more gears in me that I didn't even know I had until I met somebody that was like quadruple black belt or whatever you call it, you know, just another level again. Yeah. So yeah. for yourself personally, because you started the coaching program, did you at that point have any coach yourself in your life or did that come later? When I first got in the mortgage business, actually, it was kind of interesting. I had so Shannon, my wife, or you know, she was in the mortgage business before me and she was pregnant and we're like, okay, she's going to have a baby. I think she's been a mortgage broker for a year and a half or maybe two years. And she got hired by this guy and no, she was brand new. Actually, she was maybe a year and a bit. And so anyway, she gets hired by this guy and then he does like a bunch of interviews. I go meet him. So I'm like, who is this person? And then he says, okay, she's like, yeah, sure. I'll come. I'll take the job as a mortgage broker. And oh, by the way, I'm pregnant. You could see him just put his hands in this like, oh my gosh, like thought you were going to come and help and, you know, do all this stuff. And she said, but don't worry. I got a plan. You know, my husband's going to be a mortgage broker too. And so he interviewed me and then he met back with her and he said, look, I met your husband. This is a terrible idea. He's not cut off his business. I don't think he can do it. <laughs> and this is what he said. And then that was actually the best thing he could have said, because then I'm like, F you, I'm going to prove you wrong. Like, this is somebody telling me I can't do something. And I was like, that fired me up. I then I devoured sales books. And he was actually right. So the reality is that he wasn't wrong because my thinking around sales was salespeople were always trying to take from you. Like, I was thinking of these sleazy car salesmen who selling you a car, the engine's going to fall out. And yeah, I don't want to be that person. But only when I did enough training and mindset work did I realize I had to shift. Because as a paramedic, I was good. But I was like, I had to shift from service to sales. I'm like, okay, if I serve people... Sometimes serving them means helping them. Sometimes serving them means telling them go somewhere else, telling them no. But if I do that, I can do that all day long and feel congruent and integrity. And so then the first year I was with him, I was the top number one at his company. Second year, I was top of the company. And then third year, I went and started my own brokerage. And I needed to push of like, you can't do it. If they would have said, oh, you're going to be great. You're going to be, I would have been like, I'm going to be great. And then I wouldn't have had something to prove. 
And so I, for me and everybody's motivated different, I needed that thing of something to prove. When somebody says, you can't make money coaching mortgage brokers, I'm like, just watch me. Okay, you know, like hold my beer. And I had another guy when I started the mortgage brokerage in August of 2021. And uh, I had a guy that has a mortgage brokerage, which is now smaller than my mortgage brokerage 19 months later. But in any case, about three months in, I was chatting with him and he's like, yeah, some friends of mine and I are, we've, and I can't believe you said this to me. Like, I was actually shocked. He's like, uh, we've been chatting. We're just waiting for you to blow up. Basically, like, it's not going to work. It's what he was saying to me. And I was like, okay, cool. Hang up the phone. And I'm like, you know, F you, basically, is what I said. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't think about this very often. But every once in a while, I need that extra level of motivation where I'm like, I don't feel like working. I'm like, no, no, F that guy. And then I'm like, get back to work. And so in the first 12 months, in 2022, our first year, we did 300 million. And then we've added, we've recruited brokers or over 200 agents. Like our combined volume last year was 1.5 billion, which is like, way bigger than what his company was and we're not even close to done and i'm not doing it to prove anything to him. i'm just like great you, that's what you think you know again back to you can't make money as a coach he's saying i can't do what you want to do therefore you can't do it when somebody tells you you can't do something it means they can't do it and they hope you can't either because they don't want you to prove them wrong for me that just gives me fuel i'm like let's go man like i have no problem with that level of like people telling me i can't do something so. Yeah. Being brothers, you know, we're, we have similarities and there's definitely differences in us, but I think that's pretty similar to where I can dig in and just go for something almost like just to prove someone wrong, basically. I don't know where that comes from, but maybe being yeah, in the military. It, it, it's a thing I've learned about from coaching adults for so long. I mean, I've been coaching is that everybody has a different like why, and you have to figure that out for you. This is what motivates me, but some people are motivated by completely different things. And so if you don't have that drive, you got to keep digging to understand why. And a great exercise is actually to ask yourself why seven times. Why are you mortgage broker? Why? Because I want to help people. Why? Because I just think it feels good to help people. Why? Well, because, and you just keep digging. Eventually you'll get to the real reason, but usually the first two to three answers are just surface. They're not actually the real reason. Yeah. And, it might, it might uh, be probably just a financial goal or something that someone right. would throw out, right? You probably see that quite a bit. Yeah. So I saw, I, I'll give you an example of this. So I was coaching a, this girl and she was a fairly new mortgage broker. And she was like, I'm like, why do you want to be a mortgage broker? She goes, cause I want to be able to support my family. I said, why do you want to support your family? Well, because I want them to be able to, you know, have things. I'm like, why do you want to have things? Well, because, you know, I don't want them to be needy. Why do you want, just keep like, you keep asking it. Finally, I get down to the point. I'm like, why does that matter? And she's like, well, because growing up, my mom and dad got divorced. And when they did, my mom was almost destitute and she was trying to take care of us. And I'm concerned that if something happened to my relationship, I want to have something to fall back on. I was like, boom, there you got your why. I'm like, if you can't pick up the phone because you want to do whatever, you put a picture of your kids there and say, it's not about me, it's about my kids. And so for her, once she got to the core of it, which was she has this wound of, I saw what happened to my mom during that. And she said, my relationship and everything's fine. But like, I saw it happen to my mom and I don't ever want to be in that situation where I was literally like, we were stressed out as kids. I'm like, now we're getting to the core of why you want to do this. And once you get that level of motivation and leverage on yourself, now you can motivate yourself when you don't want to be motivated because you just go back to that moment of like, yes, this is why I'm doing this. But most people don't do that much digging. And because they don't, they don't have much leverage on themselves emotionally. And so then they don't do the thing they need to do. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I should do that for myself as well. I'm definitely probably more on the surface level with my whys. I'm not digging deep enough there's a website called seven levels deep and it, it's basically just asks you why seven times and you got to write in your answer so uh, <laughs> and seriously it doesn't go i don't think it saves or anything it's just like an exercise like seven levels deep it's very interesting when you get in there like what's underneath what's actually driving you right 
And you could do that almost for anything, right? Like yep. for your career or for maybe a relationship, you could probably do a why on almost anything. Yeah, you just have to be willing to be completely vulnerable with it. And that's the key. You know, I had another guy, I'll tell you one of the quick story who I was coaching. He was also a new mortgage broker. He was struggling, man. English was in second language, didn't have a sales background, not, it was not a sales guy. And we were giving him all this tactics and stuff and like laying everything, like step, do all these things, and he still wasn't getting it. And then all of a sudden it shifted. He's just like, the guy just takes off. Dude, like, what happened, man? Like you were kind of like, I didn't think you were going to make it. Now all of a sudden you're just, you know, you've turned a corner. And for him, what he did was he did an, an exercise where he thought to himself, he's like, if I don't get this business going, because he had left his other career, we're going to be in financial trouble. Fear is not a bad thing sometimes to motivate. It's like you don't want to run on fear as a fuel all the time, but it can definitely be a great way to get you going. So he's like, if I don't get my business going, we're going to have financial troubles. If we have financial troubles, I'm going to sell our place. If we sell our place, I'm going to have to sit down with my kids and tell them, hey, we got to move. And he pictured himself sitting down with his boys and they're going to say, dad, why do we have to move? And even just thinking about this just gets me at a, like a core level, just like, a, like I get goosebumps even thinking about it now. And he's like, I'm going to tell them daddy doesn't want to pick up the phone and talk to people. That's why we have to move. And he's like, I'm not having that conversation. Once he did that, once he went through that exercise, now the guy is like totally fine. The guy's got a fantastic business, making a couple hundred grand a year and had no sales background, no mortgage knowledge before, but he needed to get really clear on what is the worst possible outcome. Do I want to go there? And he got real with himself and he didn't. And so sometimes that's what it takes. So whatever it looks at seven levels deep or get to the point where you're like, let's go to the worst possible scenario and picture that, visualize it, make it emotional and use that as your thing to get going. He doesn't need that to run day to day. Like now his business, he's got the confidence and confidence, but he needed it at that time for sure. So it's a long great. answer to your question. I don't know what your question was, but that's what, that's what I got. Hey man, that's great. Actually, you kind of just made me think about how you gamified cold calling with one of your programs. So that's like call reluctance, right? Or, you know, we all kind of run into it as self-employed when you're trying to grow your business. But so can you kind of maybe explain that what you created? Yeah. So one of the things that we experimented with, this was when I was still a mortgage broker, I had some buddies and I were like, we need to make calls. Or we go to every these conferences and we got to make phone calls. We're like, oh, I don't want to make calls. Oh, I don't want to call my client. I don't want to call. I don't want to call realtors because a mortgage broker. I don't want to call my clients. I don't want to call anybody. And so then me and two buddies, they're both actually in Alberta. So I'm in BC. They're both in Alberta, mortgage brokers there. And so we said, let's come up with a contest. We're going to make calls and compete for a steak dinner. And I was like, okay, cool. And so I thought, oh, let's call it Game Phones because Game of Thrones was popular at the time. And it just made me laugh. And I made the scoring system points for voicemails, talks, and leads. And so we shared a spreadsheet and we would go in there and I'd see what they're doing. And let me tell you, every single one of us, our businesses went through the roof. I was like, whoa, I can't believe how well this worked. Because we gamified something that we didn't want to do. It turned into like making a huge difference in all of our businesses. So fast forward, this was when I was a broker. When I started coaching, I was like always thinking about, I always ask myself the question, if somebody put a gun to my, this is, I always use extreme examples to motivate myself. So I put a gun to your head and you had to, you know, come up with a program to make people successful as, you know, in 10 weeks, what would you get them to do? And I was like, I get them to do this, this thing we did, game of phones, right? So we put that into our training company. And when we'd survey people, we had a $10,000 10-week program and we'd ask them what was the biggest impact and it was game of phones, like almost always. So I was like, hmm. And that was just, here's the scorecard, go make your calls and come back and tell us how you did every week. So we didn't actually do it with any accountability. Then a few years ago, we hit on this idea of why don't we do them live? Because now with Zoom and stuff, why don't we do them live as a group? We have the scoreboard, everybody can see adjusting in real time. And why don't we have a coach there who's really good at it, who's got the microphone turned on, 
So you can listen to his side of the conversation and how things go. And that has taken it to the next level. And so that is how Game of Phones kind of rolled into this, you know, thing that has been amazing for mortgage brokers. But you got to show up at the end of the day. It's like, you know, you can have this fantastic gym. You can have a treadmill and workout program. And you can get a workout program from buddy there, uh, Chris Hemsworth trainer. But if you don't go to the gym, it's not going to do any good. And so you still have to show up. But the people who show up have had really good success with it. So that's how that kind of came about. And now we run it for our brokerage as well, because, again, I just believe in the concept so much. Yeah, that's amazing. And I'm sure other people probably have heard about this and probably incorporated. And it's like pushing through those barriers or that reluctance, right? And making it a competition and a game and trying to turn it into something a bit more fun than dreading, you know, picking yeah, up. Yeah, you can. So you can motivate yourself with this levels deep. You can motivate yourself with, you know, and for me, I was, I was just wanting to not lose. I made like 20 some thousand dollars that month. This is back when mortgage was much smaller and the money was not motivating enough. It was not losing to my friends was more motivating than the money. The money was actually not the thing that got me. It's just weird. So you have to figure out what that button is on yourself, you know? And so in that case too, there's some built-in accountability too, right? Like if your buddies are showing up and they're doing it, it's going to be like, man, I got to show up and, you know, perform too. Yeah, totally. I kind of want to circle back now on your podcast because I don't want to just kind of brush over it quickly. It is pretty significant what you've done. I'm currently at like 35 shows and, you know, I'm like a junior podcaster, but for yourself, like looking at your show, I love mortgage broking. You're getting close to 500 shows. Like that's pretty wild. Like you got any thoughts on your 500th show or you got anything unique you're going to do for it or? No, I didn't even realize that actually. So thank you for telling me uh, <laughs> that I was getting that high, but I think, um, well, your show is doing amazing. So I have to say like, you know, from what I've seen you do in your 35 shows, the growth that you've had is awesome. And the feedback that I get, I know your producer does my show too. And so she listens to your shows when she's editing them. She's like, his shows are really good. Like, so you're putting effort into them. If I could do anything, if I had a bit more time, you know, I'd like to do a bit more research on my guests and stuff if I could, but like, that would be probably it. And then I plan to use YouTube more. So like one mistake I made, if I think back about podcasting is I probably should have started YouTube at the same time, just turned on cameras and life would have been easy, but I didn't. And so that is something I plan to fix. So, yeah, you know. And it, how hard was it to stick with it? Like, did you have times... Uh, now it's oh, not dude, I almost nuked it so many times, so many times. Like, you know, I think at a hundred episodes, I was like, I, I, even at a hundred, I was like, I was not making any money from it. It was just, I was learning stuff and meeting people every month. I was spending money to get people to edit it and produce it. And I almost quit it. And Shannon said, no, no, don't quit. You, for some reason you started it, stay with it. And I was like, okay, fine. Cause I was like so busy with mortgages and not much long after I got a sponsor to cover my cost of my production. I wasn't making money. I was like, oh, it's, not, it's at least not a negative. Right. And now it's like, you know, it's been an engine that's made me, you know, a decent amount, certainly not a hundred million dollar coaching company like Buddy there, but it's definitely been very helpful for me in my niche of what I'm trying to do. Obviously for people building rapport with you and learning and, and you're big on collaboration too, right? So where you're, you learn something maybe from a mastermind group or something and, yeah. and you're totally all about like, Hey, let's share this. Let's refine this and make it better. Or like, who else has ideas? Yeah. One of my favorite things to do is like you give your best ideas to other people and then like they'll come back sometimes. And I've given my best ideas to like rookies and they'll come back and I'll be like, dude, that wasn't in the manual, but that was what you did is better. Like sometimes, you know, it's not better. I'm like, okay, it didn't work because you changed it too much. You changed the recipe. And I'm like, no, that wasn't a good idea. But I'm agnostic in terms of where good ideas come from. If the garbage man walked by and said, hey, I got an idea for your thing. And if it's a good idea, I'm like, we're doing it. I don't care where the idea comes from at all. I just like good ideas. And if you execute on them, do they work? That's more interesting to me than just like where or whatever. I, I have no ego for that stuff. Yeah, that's um, awesome. 
Just I want to touch about mindset. I have a question. What is like some common challenges you've seen as a coach for people to, you know, getting out of their own way? Um, well, I'd say in most cases, the thing that surprised shocked me is that the mindset is actually most of even what I do now is mindset coaching, even with my team. And mindset to me is like your perspective on a situation, like the guy who went from I don't want to make calls to I don't want to sit down with my boys and tell them we have to move because dad doesn't want to talk to a couple of people. That's a mindset shift. And so I find that most of my job now is helping people see things from another perspective. And then you can't force a mindset change on somebody. I can't be like, hey, you're going to believe X. But if I can get you to stop believing Y or create doubt in Y and make X a possibility, now I'm moving you in the right direction. But I can't be like, hey, you're going to believe this. It's like, usually you have to create doubt around the thing they believe and or give them a perspective that they didn't see and go, huh, I never saw it that way. And when they do, they have to make that internal shift themselves. And so that's the key is like trying different strategies. Like I say, I think of like a toolbox. You're going to try a whole bunch of different tools to try to help them make that shift. And this one may not work. Okay, seven levels don't work. Okay, great. Let's try worst case scenario conversation. Does that one work? No. Okay, let's try it and keep going through them to find, does that not work? Then try like enclosed cognition. Does that work? And then you just keep going through these tools. And if you think of them like glasses with different color frames, you just keep switching the frames until you, oh, Oh, now I see the situation and now you can make the shift. And that's what I like about mindset coaching or coaching in general and all the tactical stuff. If you get the right mindset, it doesn't even matter. Like you'll, you know, I've said before, and I think we have very good tactics and training and stuff that we've done, but if somebody has the right mindset, I literally can give them the opposite. I can try to set them up for failure. I give them like the worst possible advice and I call them in six months and say, how's it going? They're like, amazing. And I'll be like, huh, because they would actually just figure it out. They'd be like, okay, it's not working. They wouldn't just quit after the, like, oh my gosh, and, and blame everybody. They would guaranteed in six months. I may have slowed them down, but I didn't stop them. All I did was slow them down because they're going to figure it out. There's nothing more important than our perspective and mindset on the situation, in my opinion. But um, yeah. so that's what I've kind of learned. And, and it's always easier for me to coach somebody else than myself. So to saying all this is that I still can't coach myself. I, you know, and so I have a couple of buddies that are fantastic. And so when I have a situation, I'll get on a phone call with them and I'll say, Hey, what do you think? And then they'll tell me stuff and they'll be like, you're totally right. Like, man, I didn't see that. And so I need that too. Right. So the thing a coach does is if you imagine you can't read the jar label from the inside. And so with your situation, my friends, some of my other buddies who are coaches, they'll look at the situation outside and for them, it's so obvious. And I'm like, and once they tell me, I'm like, Oh, you're totally right. I missed that because I was too close to it. And so you all need an outside perspective from time to time to like, help us see things that we don't see. And I think that's what a good coach will do. But yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Now I want to just kind of the last part of the show, I want to talk about Bricks Mortgage. So maybe you just kind of give us like a little insight of how that started and maybe obviously started as an idea and now it's growing into a pretty significant company. So how did it start and what kind of triggered you to get it going? So, oof, man, basically, initially, I was, I've said, if two years ago, you would have asked me if I started a brokerage, I'd be like, hell no, I, that's the last thing I want to do. And yet, here I am, you know, with the brokerage is growing like crazy. And I sort of stumbled my way into it. And like a lot of things, I did the training company, love training, but our training company was always for brokers that made at least 100 grand a year or more. And they wanted to go to 200,000 or 200, want to go to 400. I mean, I had a guy I met at a conference who was making 250 grand a year. And he came up to me, he's like, hey man, I just wanna shake your hand. I'm like, cool man, what's up? He's like, well, I met you, I was doing this. And he, then the year last year did 2.5 million. I'm like, dude, like, I can't take credit for that. It's like, who wore it better? Like you wore it way better than me because I never got my business to that big. So I never changed rookies, but I had so many rookies reach out to us and say, hey, Scott, can you help? And I'm like, because rookies are really hard. There's a high failure rate. And I was like, I don't know if I can handle the high failure rate. So we ran an experiment and it 
kind of worked, but it only worked for a small percentage of the rookies. And it was because they didn't have all the rest of it. They showed them how to sell and how to, you know, do conversations. But if you don't have good support in the back end, it won't work. And so I thought the only way to solve this was actually to create a brokerage for training where people would come and we would show them how to find and fund their first 10 mortgages. And from there, they would then go wherever they want, go to any brokerage, go back where they came from. That was the initial plan. But two things happened. One, they didn't want to leave, which I didn't think about. I'm like, all right. They're like, we don't want to leave. I'm like, oh, <laughs> shoot. And then the second thing was, is I had some friends who do lots of volume go, hey, can I join your company? And I'm like, yeah, but like, you're not going to want to join it on the split the rookies are on. And so that led me to create the brokerage. And I answered, I asked myself the question, how would I create something I would want to join? And then I went back and just started work backwards from that question. If I was a broker doing 50 mil a year or 60 mil a year, what would I create that I personally would be like, sign me up in a second. And that's what we focused on. And we have been recruiting like crazy ever since we made that shift. So as I say, 1.5 billion in, you know, in 2022. So amazing. And I can totally see how you've infused, you know, all your personal coaching and experience and training, all that stuff. Now you've basically, you're pouring that and using some of that in your brokerage, right? Yeah. Oh, totally. Like we have mindset coaches in our brokerage and we, all the stuff that I've learned from nothing is wasted. Everything is layered back into this in a new, in new way. The thing I like about the brokerage over the even the, being a mortgage broker, being a coach, is that I can do things at scale I could never do before. Like we're able to create unique solutions and things that, that for me, I felt like it's a new level in the video game. It's like, oh, I met this new, I'm like, oh my gosh, we can combine this and this. And like, there's so many creative options available now that we're bigger and the bigger we get, all of them benefit our brokers. And so every deal that I negotiate or put together helps our agents, which it scales so much better than just working with a small number of people. So that part I like. Super cool. And your corporate culture too is because it's not the brick and mortar. We're going to have real estate and have a building in, in every city. It's cloud-based, right? Yeah, it's cloud-based. So we're completely virtual. We have like a virtual office. We've got a virtual boardroom. I mean, one of my girls, she's got a virtual corner office. I didn't change her. <laughs> <laughs> Loren's corner office. She shows up like, oh, I'm in the corner. I'm like, everybody, you get a corner office. It's like, oh, you get a corner <laughs> office and you get a penthouse office and whatever you want, man. We spare no expense in our virtual offices. <laughs> Instead of spending money on office space, we split it into tech and support because again, we think that's what matters to our agents and that's the priority. I was meeting with somebody who owns a brokerage, a national brokerage a couple of weeks ago in, in their fancy office in downtown Vancouver overlooking every look beautiful. And I was like, and he kind of said, he's like, well, you guys should come in with your virtual offices. And he's basically like, I'm like, whoa, dude, like this is your, like, Truthfully, half the cubicles were empty, half the offices were empty. They're spending a lot of money for something that is not helping their agents in any meaningful way, in my opinion. But that's their choice, not mine. So whatever. For sure. You put together, if you don't mind speaking about it, like I know you've done like kind of almost like meetup or group events where you'll pay for some tickets or an event. And so that people can yeah, still yeah, so get we together. We call block parties. So like instead of putting money into office space, what we do is say, hey, look, if you guys want to get together once a month in your markets and a bunch, if enough, you get together, we'll put 25 bucks a person towards it. So if they went axe throwing or they went to the Jays game or they went to bowling or they, and all we're doing is taking the virtual community because we've been growing so much and then creating like the collaborative community of getting together. And they've appreciated that because they see that we care about, you know, them beyond just, they're not just, you know, a number to us. And we think it's a great way to like, just get people together. Right. And so that's something we've seen great feedback on. Yeah, I think that's amazing. And I think it's really important because virtually you can connect better than a phone call, but it's still not like a face-to-face, -face, you know, going out and- Yeah, and having, having like, a, you know, having some wings or going bowling or so you get to just a bunch of the non, like, I don't know, you need both. So can you share maybe a couple of innovations you're currently working on? Something that would be kind of more 
leading edge? So uh, the big one right now is AI tools. So we have about 180, probably that was the last thing, it's probably more like 200 training videos that we have for every topic you can imagine. And so we have an AI tool that is going to be coming out very soon called Janet. And so it's called Ask Janet. And if you don't ever watch The Good Place, Janet is the AI that you ask Janet. And then it's like, she knows all the answers. So it basically <laughs> uses ChatGPT's engine. And then it uses our proprietary data set of training. And so I can say, hey, how do I leave a voicemail? Janet, how do I leave a voicemail that gets a callback? And Janet's like, oh, there's at least two different ways to do it. And, and then here's the references. And you can jump right to the spots in the actual training so that you can then get answers faster. And so that's something that we're pretty excited about because if the agents can get answers quicker, right? And get coached in, by an AI instead of like, well, we're happy to coach them too, but it'll be just more effective for them. They can literally do it at midnight if they have a question. And yeah. well, what do I do if I get this objection? What do I say? Oh, here's some ideas. And then here's my references. And so that's what's been something we're pretty excited about. I think that's super cool. Like that'll be like you're saying late at night or weekend, or is this all real time, like right at your fingertips? Mm -hmm. That will be live within the next couple of weeks. It'll be certainly before the end of May. We've already tested it. It works. We just need to put it inside our members area where our, all of our agents are so that it's, you know, proprietary to them. So that's all that's we're waiting on. Amazing. And, now, and then are you in all the provinces already in Canada or are you still, no. still expanding across? So probably some red tape and stuff, right? Man, some of these regulators are insane. So like, it's like, oh, you've got to like sign it with paper. You got to send it folded three times. No more. You can only have once. Like, it's so ridiculous. You got to pee in a cup. Like what? Like, so <laughs> some of them are so insane that. So yes, by the end of the year, we'll have every province. Uh, I've no doubt, but they definitely, it's not a fast process because one of them said, where are your agents going to work? I'm like, we're virtual. What is it like work from home? Like, what does it matter? <laughs> we got a mailing address. You need to send us something. You know, I'll sign something. If I need to come to your province to, if you have an issue, you want to talk to me, I'll come out there. But like, this is the kind of weird, you know, they're stuck in like 1983 or something. So yeah, I've seen that before, actually. In the or like, what's your fax number? What the heck do you need? Like, I don't want a fax number. We don't have a fax. We don't, I mean, we do. But like, that was one of the issues we ran into was like, you need a fax number. Like, please, God, Redi don't send me a fax. Like, <laughs> I remember when I, when I was just uh, downtown trying to get information about my pension when I was leaving. And uh, same thing, everything had to be faxed. And then even the paperwork they wanted you to fill out, they needed to mail it to me as opposed to just send me a blank copy. I could print it out and fill it out. I, it had to be mailed to me. I'm like, oh my God, like, could it be any more painful? Yeah. Oh yeah. So this is the problem with bureaucratic systems. Like, you know, often regulators, somebody puts a policy in place and then no one ever questions like why they don't think about the customer experience or like, it doesn't matter. They don't care, you know, nothing. It's just, I couldn't work in there at all. I would literally, you know, pull my hair out if I had to work in a place like that. For sure. Um, yeah. No kidding. And then plans to go into the US in the, maybe the, yeah, what, how yeah, far sure. do, you, do you see that? Well, hopefully within the next couple of years, like I've already had conversations with, you know, US brokerages and stuff, but we need to get the Canadian market dialed first. So for me, it's the most important thing is get every province dialed, get our operations tight. You know, our lender relationships are important. And then, yes, we're going to cross into the US. Absolutely. So, awesome. Yeah. Okay, we're getting close to the end. I'm going to hit you with a few just quick answer questions. So I know you love quotes. So what's a favorite quote of yours? I got a lot of them. But one that I always go back to is Zig Ziglar's. You can have anything in life you want if you help enough other people get what they want. And so I like that because it's like if we help our agents be successful, our company's successful. I don't pay attention to my competition. I don't give a crap what they're doing. Like, you know, somebody said, oh, I think they're copying near this. I like, don't care. doesn't matter. Like, it's irrelevant. If they're half as obsessed with taking care of their agents as we are, then they're going to do fine. If they're not, then they should worry because they're going to lose their people. 
they're at least they're gonna lose their good people. I don't want their bad people. I don't want them. You know, yeah. you can keep all the bad ones. I just want your good ones. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of them I don't care about. For sure. And then how about a movie or a book? Anything recent that you liked and would recommend? Uh well, one of my favorite movies that I've watched like a dozen, it's just gonna sound ridiculous, is movie Megamind, which is a <laughs> cartoon for kids. And I love that movie. It's uh got Brad Pitt, Tina Fey, Jonah Hill, um, Will Ferrell. It's a hilarious movie. And so I literally know, I bet you I could almost do the entire movie. I know every line, like a little kid who can watch like a movie they've seen. <laughs> I can almost repeat every line of that movie. Like it's, I've seen it that many times when my kids and I still probably watch it once a year with my kids. I'm like, we got to watch Megamind. And they just, you know, in fact, I like it so much so that when he takes over the city, because Megamind takes over the city, he gets on his desk. He takes over the mayor's desk and pushes everything off. And he drops a big evil overlord desk sign. And so my kids got me one of those for Christmas. And so I have an evil overlord assigned to my desk because I'm so, you know, mega mindish. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm going to have to watch it again. It's been a number of years for me. And how about where do you want to travel it? Maybe on a bucket list. Some of you haven't been, but you kind of really want uh, to. Go. Machu Picchu. So that's like in Peru where you climb up to the mountains where they have that city built on the top of the hill. I'd like to go there someday. That's on my list. Where else do I want to go? Nashville. I want to go check that out. I've heard that place is pretty cool. There's a lot of places I'd like to go. But like right now, all I'm doing is working, man. All I'm doing is like head down, go, and uh, that's it. I don't have any specific places I'm going to go to. Yeah. And, and when you're also traveling for work, obviously at conferences and stuff, right? Mm -hmm. I don't, yeah. I don't know for sure. Well, hey, thanks, brother, for being on my show. I liked the fact that I didn't tell you any questions ahead of time. Just to, I knew you'd be amazing regardless. So. Well, yeah, you're asking me questions like you didn't ask me stuff that like, hey, Scott, what do you think about the Calgary market? I'm like, I don't know. I think it's probably pretty good, but like I couldn't give you anything more specific than that. So, <laughs> you know. Yeah, different format for my listeners too. Not really on real estate investing, but I think people that listen would definitely, you know. Sure. Well, yeah, learn, I, learn and hey, again, if you are listening to this show, I tell you that like, I know that you're doing amazing things with it and your feedback from your clients and, you know, the investor clients and stuff has been awesome. So, you know, go back and listen to the previous episodes because there's tons of gold in this thing. And Nikki is a connoisseur of podcasts. So she's our producer and uh, she's like, no, it's good stuff. So if she says it's good, she wouldn't tell me that it wasn't good, she'd tell me. So I encourage you guys to, if you're, this is your first time stumbling into this show, this is not the normal format. Go back and listen to the investing in real estate stuff. Awesome, thanks brother. Okay, thanks man. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peckford. I'm an investment-focused real estate agent in Calgary, Alberta. I'm also an entrepreneur, Red Seal electrician, and I hold a Master Home Inspection Certification. If you're thinking about investing in the Calgary area, please reach out and let me put my real estate expertise to work for you. I can be reached at 587-893-2272. Follow me on Instagram at PeckfordCorey, or my website is CoreyPeckford.com. Plus, we have a Facebook group. It's Calgary Real Estate Investing Group, so Craig for short please follow that. If you're getting great value from this podcast, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. That would be greatly appreciated. Thanks. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.